Welcome to Black Mountain College Radio, a podcast from Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center. I'm Jeff Arnell, Executive Director. Each program in our series focuses on various topics related to Black Mountain College and Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center. By presenting dynamic programming of this nature, we hope to deepen your relationship with both the college's vital legacy and the work of our Asheville-based museum. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Black Mountain College Radio. I'm your host, Carmelo Pampolonio. Our second episode will have three segments, the first being an interview with choreographer and performer Meg Foley, who will be giving a performance at Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center on Saturday, July 8th. The second segment explores the life and works of Robert Motherwell, a notable abstract expressionist who taught at Black Mountain College. I'll discuss his use of automatism in painting, the influence of psychoanalysis and literature on his work, and a heated debate between he and Ben Sean during the Cold War. The final segment will be the Lake Eden Sound Map, an audio tour comprised of field recordings taken from the historic Lake Eden campus in western North Carolina. So we'll now go to Meg Foley, who's a Philadelphia-based performer, choreographer, and director of Moving Parts, which is the name she ascribes to her various dance and performance-based actions that explore the materiality of dance and physical identity as form. Hi Meg, thanks for joining us. Would you mind starting by talking a little bit about your background as an artist? Not at all. So I've danced most of my life, and when I was a teenager, I became quite interested in photography and sculpture, and then when I was in college, I also I hung out with a lot of visual artists and read what they read and went to a lot of museums and really started to try and dialogue across forms because the the language and the theory that I was looking at in a dance context was different than what I was encountering in a visual arts context. And I was always trying to translate those values because I didn't quite understand why they weren't being placed more closely, I guess. And then as a sort of young professional artist, I just kept making dances. And then as time went on, I sort of started to dismantle my process and became interested in task work and different ways to use improvisation. Because I would use improvisation to generate movement, but not as something that would remain open on stage. So I kind of started to open up my process, and that was around 2008 to 2010. And it was around that time where I felt a little bit like I was breaking up with myself, that I started shifting into solo research, which had not been my focus at all. Even though I would make all of the movement myself and so was really interested in authorship, I was interested in the performers giving me their perspective of the abstract narrative they were moving through so that their experience of performing would inform the subsequent choreographic choices. The piece I did right before I started researching Action is Primary had a construct where each of the dancers learned their, their, it was a trio and it was called Cookie, or rather it started as a trio, but um, the performers learned their part or their series of movements alone. And then they only ever experienced the trio, like the all three of them moving together in performance showing. And I worked with a sound designer where the sound was a layering of three parts. And so they would only hear their sonic part. And then when they would perform, they would hear the entire thing. So I was really interested in what actually happens. That we don't just make something and then people watch it. There's an affect 
that comes into being and that actually shapes the things that we're doing while we're being watched. And so I wanted to build that into the choreography. And then that's when I started to get in to really like taking apart these different improvisational systems and approaches that could all be inside one container. And then I just ended up working inside this practice for like seven years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the long and the short of it. You'll be performing The Undergird, also known as Action is Primary Number 4, at the museum. And you describe this as an improvised speech that is a dance performance that is a speech. You said it's about mortality, birth, earth monuments, and the immediate omnipresent body, alone, incongruous, and all that it's not. This seems kind of like a performative monologue of nested retranslations. Could you elaborate a bit on how you explore and connect all these themes? Yeah, nested retranslations. I, I like that. <laughs> um, so it's not a monologue, but you're kind of right on in the sense that it comes from a single voice. But the piece is my attempt to give this speech, and then I've created all these tasks in order to try and give this speech. And as I've been working on it, it's become really clear that the speech needs to be improvised. So I can't write it, practice it, rewrite it, practice it, practice the delivery, etc. There's something about the actual mechanism of making decisions in the moment that is critical to the content. And that is a variable that I can't determine before I'm in performance. So I've been trying to prepare myself to improvise this speech. I've created all these sort of tasks or structures that are around it that specifically investigate talking or considering my body as an earth monument, there is a part where there is writing that I have prepared that I offer and present to the audience. But actually, a lot of the tasks have more to do with imagery and time. And so there's this consideration of my body here and now with the viewer and maybe by altering or expanding our shared sense of time in this moment, we can start to meditate on these concepts of being mortal, which to me, after having a child, relates very directly to birth and this kind of question of like where things begin and end. And then in a very real present sense, where do I begin and end? Because if I'm imagining something that is bigger than me, can it possibly be big enough to include you if you as a viewer are generous enough with your attention that you're like really giving it to me, right? Then I think that the the space where one of us ends and the other begins between us is a little bit less clear and that maybe that's actually not always a finite relationship. So there's a lot of abstraction of this sense of where is my end, like where is my end in this moment and where is my end in time. And and I do talk. There is a lot of talking and I am always giving this speech. But the process of working in the undergird has actually made me aware that I don't even actually know what I want to say. I just know the feeling, the feeling and the desire to communicate and that perhaps if I were to work in tandem with you as a viewer, maybe I could expand the limitations of my own body or at least be more aware of them. And all of the tasks are me trying to get closer to giving the speech. And it hasn't quite happened yet, actually. Hmm. What do you mean by earth monuments? Hmm. What I mean by earth monuments are generally pieces of human-made land art. So that could be something interventionist 
like Spiral Jetty or Stonehenge, but I'm also interested in things that are perhaps created in order to change. So Earth Monuments, I think for me, the category also extends to naturally made monuments like Arches National Park or something like that, which has, you know, is different because it's not coming from the hands of a person, but it is created over time to find this form. So I'm, I'm thinking in both of those categories. So it seems the piece is largely focused around a personal process, your process. How has your improvisational approach toward this piece changed since you first started performing it? Well, it's become more and more refined. So um, when I first performed it, I had a pretty loose score. And one of the ways that I, I work now that improvisation is my kind of primary research is that I often develop things through the process of performing them. So I'm actually now at a point where I'm taking the pieces apart and so I'm separating tasks from one another and trying to get really specific about what this speech is that I actually want to give or what the feeling is that I'm trying to communicate. I've gone back in the studio with a collaborator, Annie Wilson, and she and I are working and doing the score, performing for one another and then isolating the tasks, saying new tasks to just try and get clear. Have the works of any Black Mountain College dancers, such as Merce Cunningham, Catherine Litz, or Elizabeth Smith Jennerjohn, influenced your work? Yeah, I was quite influenced by Merce Cunningham as a young choreographer and still am incredibly inspired by his work and John Cage's work and writing. Definitely the principles of when I'm dancing, what I'm thinking about is what I'm doing was really transformative for me in terms of identifying value and meaning within the work itself, as opposed to like the kind of idea or at that time narrative frame of the choreographic work. So I've been largely influenced by that. And also just, I mean so inspired by the persistence of research and really persistent research into the present <laughs> and present tense work. So I think in terms of my, my relationship with Black Mountain College, I've never been there. I'm super excited to perform at the museum and to get to dive a little bit deeper into the history. But I just feel... I'm in the lineage of some of those collaborations, and I'm honored to get to be near it, really. Yeah, I mean, we're excited to have you there. Thank you so much for your time, Meg, and I'm looking forward to your performance on July 8th. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it, too. In this second segment, we're exploring the life and works of the painter and writer Robert Motherwell, the exhibition, Robert Motherwell, The Quiet and the Wild, is up at Black Mountain College Museum and Arts Center now until September 2nd. Robert Motherwell was born in Aberdeen, Washington on January 24, 1915. He received a BA in philosophy from Stanford University in 1937 and continued to study a philosophy at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. After his time at Harvard, Motherwell traveled around Europe and befriended many surrealist painters, including Kurt Seligman, Roberto Mata, and William Bazioz. In 1940, he moved to New York and studied art history at Columbia University. It was here at Columbia that Robert Motherwell studied with Meyer Shapiro, a well-known Marxist art historian, who convinced Motherwell to devote himself more to painting than scholarship. 
Shapiro arranged for Motherwell to study with surrealist painter Kurt Seligman, and also introduced him to a group of exiled Parisian surrealists, the lot of which included Marcel Duchamp, Max Ernst, and André Masson. Motherwell's time with the surrealists influenced his artistic approach, but it was his time with the Chilean painter Roberto Mata that had a significant and long-lasting effect. In 1941, Motherwell traveled to Mexico with Roberto Mata for six months. Mata introduced Motherwell to the concept of automatism, which, in brief, is the process of creating art without conscious thought or intention. Automatism uses psychoanalysis as a point of departure, and that it attempts to tap into the unconscious cerebrations of the mind, as opposed to the conscious, surface-level processes that we're familiar with on a daily basis. Oddly enough, it's a conceptual approach with a process based on feeling, and can manifest through various praxes such as free association, stream of consciousness, doodling, chance, and acting upon impulse. Automatism, also known as gestural painting or free association, will become a central tenet to mid-century abstract expressionism. Thus, abstract expressionism was a painterly movement, one that was largely focused on the subjectivity and self-expression of the individual artist. So, going back to the late 1930s, on a train ride across Europe, a young Robert Motherwell discovered James Joyce's novel Ulysses, a modernist work of fiction which became his most admired literary source. For years, Motherwell had been fascinated by the freedom and plasticity of Joyce's stream-of-consciousness style of writing, which now dovetailed seamlessly with the automatism introduced by Mata. Motherwell drew many rich parallels between Joyce's technique to his own automatist style, as they both attempt to relinquish conscious control in the act of expression. His use of automatism can be found throughout the rest of his career, in works such as his Lyric Suite, Ulysses Suite, Elegies, and his Joyce Sketchbook. And with all this, Motherwell became a potent link between psychoanalysis, automatism, and post-war abstract expressionism. In an interview with Paul Cummins, Motherwell said, What I realized was that Americans potentially could paint like angels, but there was no creative principle around, so that everybody who liked modern art was copying it. Gorky was copying Picasso, Pollock was copying Picasso, de Kooning was copying Picasso. I mean, I say this unqualifiedly, I was painting French intimate pictures or whatever. And all we needed was a creative principle. I mean, something that would mobilize this capacity to paint in a creative way. And that's what Europe had that we hadn't. We had always followed in their wake. And I thought of all the possibilities of free association, because I also had a psychoanalytic background and I understood the implications. It might be the best chance to really make something entirely new, which everybody agreed was the thing to do. Later on in the interview, Motherwell states... Mata wanted to start a revolution, a movement, within Surrealism. He asked me to find some other American artists that would help start this new movement. It was then that Baziotz and I went to see Pollock and de Kooning and Hoffman and Kamrowski and Busa and several other people, and see if we could come up with something. Peggy Guggenheim, who liked us, said that she would put on a show of this new business, and so I went around explaining the theory of automatism to everybody, because the only way that you could have a movement was that it had to have some common principle. It sort of all began that way. In the summer of 1945, at age 30, Motherwell came to Black Mountain College to teach painting and art criticism at Joseph Albers's invitation. He returned to Black Mountain College in the summer of 1951, where he taught alongside Ben Sean, an outspoken proponent of the politically motivated art movement known as social realism. Motherwell and Sean had very different aesthetics and philosophies, and even though their time only overlapped for a few days, their opinions sparked many vehement debates over whether abstraction or realism was the superior art form. In fact, in 1949, the Museum of Modern Art held a conference titled 
Art Education 1949, Focus for World Unity, where Ben Sean and Motherwell argued their positions. Sean claimed that Motherwell was the bourgeois scourge of all the left-wing artists, while Motherwell red-baited Sean as a communist, his work being agitprop, propaganda. This debate remains complex, especially considering the historical circumstances. The Cold War was in its infancy, and the International Organization Division, as part of the CIA, funded modern American artists, such as Motherwell, during the Cold War in an effort to counter the Soviet Union's rigid advocacy of social realism. However one perceives this debate, Motherwell had a fruitful stint at Black Mountain College, teaching and influencing a plethora of notable artists including Cy Twombly, Robert Rauschenberg, and Kenneth Noland. Then in the early 50s, Motherwell returned to New York and was active in the abstract expressionist group known as the New York School, a moniker that he came up with. He continued to push the boundaries of abstract expressionism well into the latter half of the 20th century, where the verdures of pop art and minimalism began to dominate the fertile post-war landscape. Motherwell may be best known for his gestural series, Elegies to the Spanish Republic, which he referred to as a lamentation or funeral song after the Spanish Civil War. The series consists of over a hundred paintings made between 1948 and 1967, characterized by patternized rough black ovals and bold rectangular swaths which jut across coarse, neutral-colored backgrounds. The series is an allusion to human mortality, the dialectic of life and death expressed through white and black. Many have speculated that his struggles with severe asthma and his consequent fear of an untimely death played a role in this rumination on impermanence. Motherwell also related the dark ovular shapes that frequented his elegies to the display of the testicles of dead bulls at Spanish bullfights, and one could connect this phallic reference back to his interest in Freudian psychoanalysis. Another series of his, titled Open, was displayed at MoMA in 1965 by Frank O'Hara. It consists of various fragmented rectangles representing doors and windows, and has been described as offering an intense conceptual engagement with dualities of interior and exterior, as well as painting and frame. The series playfully challenges notions of spatiality and boundaries, and how we can accept responsibility for their construction. Motherwell is also known for his Lyric Suite, a series of over 600 ink paintings on Japanese rice paper he made in 1965. On his own account, Motherwell would produce anywhere between 10 to 50 paintings a day, on the floor, sweat dimming from his spectacles on hot days. As the ink spread, he said that each picture would change before his eyes after he had finished working on it. Motherwell compared the spectacle of spreading ink to time-lapse footage of blooming flowers, saying the images grew themselves. He's also known for his 1988 Ulysses Suite, a series of 22 automatist illustrations on Johannet paper, plus a book of 40 additional etchings. The series recounts the tale within James Joyce's novel, Ulysses, utilizing the stream-of-consciousness technique of Joyce himself. Motherwell's interest in the unison of the conscious and unconscious suggests that he believed art was beyond the interpretive power of any analyst. He claimed to trust thought and automatism more than words about them, and in his own words, Art is no longer understood as consciousness expressing, and therefore implicitly, affirming itself. Art is not consciousness per se, but rather its antidote, evolved from within consciousness itself. Motherwell died on July 16, 1961. In his work, we see the confluence of unrestrained artistic ambitions and a disciplined intellectual background, where although he had a scholarly upbringing, he had an artistic process based more on feeling, intuition, and instinct. And now for the Lake Eden sound map.
This is Carmelo Pampolonio, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Black Mountain College Radio. More episodes are planned for the near future, and will include more interviews, arts updates, and historical segments. For more information, go to blackmountaincollege.org.